Pivot with Purpose, a podcast that highlights the unique stories of professionals that pivoted their careers to align with their work lives and personal lives more purposefully and with more joy. Pivot with Purpose is hosted by Megan Hull, a globally accredited career and business coach and creator of the Megan Hull Method. Welcome back to the Pivot with Purpose podcast. In this episode, we talk to Chef Sarah Wade, 2018 Food Network Gold Medal Games Chopped winner and the owner of the Boston, Massachusetts-based comfort food restaurant, Stillwater. Thank you for listening to Pivot with Purpose with host Megan Hull. You can find out more information about each guest, including full transcripts at pivotwithpurposepodcast.com. And if you'd like to share your own Pivot with Purpose, click on the share button and add your story to the conversation. Finally, be sure to subscribe and share your comments wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Your support amplifies our voice. And now, this week's episode. Chef Sarah Wade made the declaration that after winning the CHOP Gold Medal Games, beating out 16 opponents in a winner-take-all competition, that she'd use her victory money to open her own restaurant. True to her word, the Oklahoma native opened Stillwater, bringing Midwestern comfort food to Boston. Her food has received many accolades, including winning Boston's Best Brunch Battle, Best Brunches in Boston, 25 Best Restaurants in Boston from Dream Vacation Magazine, and has been featured on BuzzFeed. Sarah is also part of a collaboration of women restaurateurs called Let's Talk Women that came together to counter the pandemic and built an action-led movement by women business owners to learn from and support each other through the COVID crisis. Chef Sarah Wade, welcome to the Pivot with Purpose podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. I'm yeah. so good. good. <laughs> uh, well, first, I wish we were in person so I could be enjoying your cooking. But next time, I'll just come visit you in the restaurant. I am so honored to have you a part of this podcast and to share your journey to not only becoming an award-winning chef, but really along with how you're supporting women-owned restaurants through Let's Talk, and we will get through all the things. But before we get started... I always love to ease into the conversation to learn a little bit something fun about you. So what are some things you're enjoying beyond cooking up amazing dishes these days? Where can we find you when you're not in the restaurant? And we won't stalk you, I promise. Oh, man, what do I do when I'm not in the restaurant? I have a boat, so I sit on the boat a lot on the Charles River. I don't drive it. That is not my role. It is to sit there and drink cocktails and watch the waves float by. So I go out there and read, which is really nice and quiet and peaceful. Yeah. And then if I'm not doing that, I take my boyfriend's daughter rides horses, which I used to do when I was a kid. So I take her to the barn once a week and we go play with the horses and they have all kinds of other animals out there. So that's like my break from the city and from the world to go and enjoy that kind of stuff. Nature, fresh air. Yes. <laughs> oh, oh so I healthy. love horses too. Oh, yeah, that's awesome. Well, uh, I'll have to go onto the dock by the Charles and wave to you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You'll be like, leave me alone, I'm reading. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. As we dive into the heart of this podcast, where we really highlight career pivots that lead to creating or aligning to ultimate passion, where did your love for cooking come from? Let's start there. When I was a kid, I loved to cook and I had kids cookbooks and I would make dinner and my mom was like, you're going to be a chef someday. Your mom's like, like, yes. Yeah. 
And I'm like, no, I don't want to be a chef. I was a little hippie that wanted to own a coffee shop. So that was like my ultimate goal in life. <laughs> the passion, I think it came from my mom and cooking with her. And I now really enjoy it. And I really came upon it very like unnaturally. I didn't really realize I wanted to be a chef until college because my little hippie coffee shop dream took me to a restaurant hospitality school at Oklahoma mm -hmm. State, Go Pokes. And yeah, I learned that I loved cooking there and pivoted from coffee shop to chef. <laughs> yeah. I'd love to share a little bit more about that journey to becoming a chef and now restaurant owner. So where did you start off stepping into the business? Talk to us a little bit about that. I started in the business as a hotel banquet chef in hotels. There are lots of different roles in the chef world, but banquet chef was a good one to enter into. So I went from a banquet chef in Houston, Texas, to a sous chef in North Carolina, to an executive chef in Houston. I did a couple hotels in Houston, and then my last stop in the hotel world was in Greenwich, Connecticut. I was the chef there at Hyatt, and kind of had decided that it was time to be, you know, Chef Sarah Wade and do my own menus and not follow corporate menus, which you do in hotels. Mm -hmm. And it was time to do my own thing. And I found like the world's most amazing opportunity <laughs> on Craigslist. <laughs> so no, don't ever doubt Craigslist. Right. Jobs. You're like, it works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Red Sox tickets, jobs, whatever. Seriously, <laughs> dude. Yeah. Foot massages, whatever. Right. Oh, God. <laughs> Careful of those. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I found a really great job. I got to open a restaurant called Lulu's in Alston, which is a neighborhood of Boston. And the only parameters from the guys that own the place was we don't ever want to have to go into the kitchen. I was mm. like, cool, mm -hmm. I'm in. And mm -hmm. so that was kind of what took me into private restaurants and learning that part of the world and really being able to write my own menus and show off who I am. Yeah, I love that. I know there's some stories and we'll dig into that, but talk a little bit about that specific career pivot that led to you opening Stillwater, which is your own restaurant. Oh, my baby. I was working at Lulu's and then I picked up the phone as the cranky chef who shouldn't have to be picking up the phone, but no one was picking up the phone. And I say, you know, Lulu's, this is Sarah. How can I help you? And they say, is this Sarah Wade? I said, uh, yeah. I'm like, oh dear, now they want to sell me something. <laughs> You're like, no. Yeah. <laughs> oh, they found me. When they say, this is blah, blah, blah from the Food Network. How are you? And I was like, I'm fantastic. How are you? <laughs> and the woman called to see if I had any interest in competing on a Food Network's Chopped. And so I was like, uh, yeah, of course. Never really thought about it, but you guys called. So the answer is always yes. How can I do this? And so I went and competed in a tournament. And I beat out 16 chefs in a tournament style game and one chopped and made a little money and took that money and turned it into my own restaurant. <laughs> That's awesome. We'll dig into that a little bit deeper, but what season? Talk to us, like, how can we find your season? It's easier to look up by the name of the tournament. It's called Gold Medal Games. Mm -hmm. uh, it came out around the Olympics a couple years ago now. Yeah, so Gold Medal Games, I believe it's season 39, but it does pop up pretty easily if you Google it the Google machine. We love it. What was something you learned about yourself um, after entering into this competitive platform? I think I learned that I'm more competitive than I thought I was, or maybe I just realized that I was competitive and that I really do have the need to be the best and be number one. I went in just saying my whole goal here is to not be out in the first round. That was mm -hmm. my only thing. I was like, other than that, we'll see what happens. And then you get into it and you're like, no, I could, I'm better than these guys. The first round was all boys. 
I was like, I could do this, and now I need to beat all these boys. Was it all male? Were you the only female? I was the only female in the first, like, heat of wow. the tournament, yeah. yeah. And then the second heat, it was myself, another woman, and then two other men. And then it came down to myself and the other lady. So, yeah, girl power. <laughs> yes, amen. Did you have any memorable moments from the show? Oh, boy. I know. You always like, what's behind the scenes? Like, what really happens? You don't want me on shows like that. Trust me, I'd blow things up, like light fires. <laughs> like, the, the blender wouldn't work. I'd be done. <laughs> I mean, the whole thing was, it was such a blur. Because yeah. you're just like, oh my gosh, there's so much going on. I think one of the most memorable things is Chef Z uh, Jeffrey Zakarian, who is, is an awesome chef in his own right. The first thing, comment that he said, and I thought he was going to be like, you're terrible, get out of here. And he goes, you're a really confident chef. And I was like, huh, I didn't know that. Thanks. Aww, I <laughs> and I was that. like, that's so cool. Yeah. So I love this confidence that you have around cooking and knowing what you're good at. So many people live in imposter syndrome and can I do this? Am I good enough? And I think it's just kind of like owning who you are, knowing at a young age what you love to do. Where do you feel like that confidence comes from? And from meeting you in person a few times, you are so lovely. So I don't think it comes <laughs> up as cocky or arrogant, but it's good to know what you're good at and follow your passion and doing all the things that you love. So where do you feel like that confidence really comes for you? I think I'm one of the lucky ones that knew at a really young age, subconsciously knew that this is this is the path that my life was going to take. Yeah. And then when I got into the industry, I definitely struggled really hard. I was ill-equipped to be a banquet chef, even though I tell you that that's what I started as. I did, but I was not prepared to do it. And so I fought really hard. I read a lot of books and I worked really hard to get where I'm at. And now I guess I'm confident because I own it and I know that I'm here. Mm -hmm. And I feel really proud of the fact that I drug myself kicking and screaming here because this was what I wanted to do. There was just no other path for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I own Is it, Lu baby. I worked yeah, hard for own it. it. <laughs> yes. Own it. Is Lulu's what brought you to Boston from Connecticut, kind of dragging you to the East Coast here? Was that your sort of big entry into Boston? Have you always loved the city? Like, what's your connection here? I came up to Boston with a friend for the 4th of July for a very quick weekend. And I literally fell in love with the city. And I love New York City, but I've never fallen so hard so fast for a city. And I came up here and I was like, wow, this is beautiful. It has all of the attributes of a big city, but yet it's so small. And so when I decided that I was ready to move on from the position I was at in Connecticut, I started looking at Craigslist all over kind of the eastern seaboard. I looked at jobs in New York. I looked at jobs in Boston. I was like, it's time to go from Connecticut. And that magical opportunity came up in Boston. And I was yeah. like, yeah, this is it. This is where I'm supposed to go. It's like that Augustana yeah. song, I think. They're like, I think I'll go to Boston. I'm not going to sing because we actually <laughs> want people to listen to this episode. So you're welcome <laughs> for not singing, everybody. But yes, I love that song. <laughs> Me too. And I was like, I yeah, this song. is it. This yeah. is it. So. Oh. We appreciate you in the city. And yes, it's a very, very, very good city. I've been here 15 years. I walked to your restaurant. It's just so easy. And we have such a great community. We do. You know, in Boston. And we really lift each other up from hospitality to sports to service, you name it. So with this show, I always love to tease a little yes or no question, Sarah. And then we'll go to a quick break. So bringing you to Boston, yes or no. Do you remember the moment that kind of led you to create the idea of Stillwater and, and wanting to open specifically in this city? No, I don't. And with that, we'll be going to a quick break and we'll pick <laughs> this up when we get back. <laughs>
So Sarah, before the break, you said no. Why Boston? And what was your inspiration behind Stillwater? So Boston, besides the fact that I fell in love with it immediately, I lived all over the country in my 20s. I had been in like four or five different states. You know, I'd lived there for a year and they were great states and great places. And I met a lot of people, but they never really felt like home. And I got to Boston and I just fell in love with the restaurant community and I made so many friends and it just felt very like right and comfortable. Mm -hmm. And so when I won Chopped, I was like, I'm not going anywhere else. This is where I'm going to settle myself, which is a really great and scary feeling. And so I just knew the next step was to find a place and put down my restaurant roots here in Boston. So Stillwater, where does the inspiration behind the name come from? Is there any like story behind that? Stillwater is a town in Oklahoma that is close to my heart. It is the town that my alma mater, Oklahoma State, is in. I grew up in Edmond. That's a pretty crappy name for a restaurant. (laughs) But Stillwater is cool and it means something to me, but it also independently is a neat word. If you come into the restaurant, it's not like it's just not a supporters bar. We don't have Pistol Pete's and cheerleader stuff all over the place. We do have some really subtle little throwbacks to the state. So it means a lot to me. It is like me bringing my home to Boston, but it's also just, it's a great restaurant. (laughs) Yeah, it is. And and now it kind of makes sense. So having your Southern roots, Stillwater, knowing the menu, and we'll obviously link everything in the show notes so people can check it out um, and salivate for those that are not in the Boston (laughs) market. And when you come here and visit in the summer, everybody go to Stillwater, but it's around comfort food. Right. And it's right in the heart of Boston, right on the outskirts of Chinatown and that downtown hustle and bustle. Talk to us about what we can expect from the food and like where the inspiration came for you there. So, yes, at the heart of the menu, it is comfort food. It is Oklahoma comfort food. And a lot of it are things that just give me the warm and fuzzies, which is my tagline. I like to obviously share those things with my customers. So I do a chicken fried ribeye. Chicken fried steak is a really popular thing in Oklahoma, but they take a really unclassy cut of beef and then you pound the hell out of it and you batter it and fry it. And that's a chicken fried steak. And it tastes good, right? And it's delicious. <laughs> yes. But of course, in true Sarah fashion, you have to do some sort of riff on it. So we take a really nice ribeye, actual ribeye, 10 ounces, marinate it and cook it to order. And then we batter it and do a quick fry on it. So you have this lovely piece of steak that's still medium rare in the middle if you want it. And then you cut into it, you know, and it's got this great crust on the outside. But then we still do the classic cream gravy, the pepper cream gravy, which is so good. And a couple of great beans. And then we do this really fun cherry pepper relish, which kind of cuts through all of that delicious fat and cream. To me, it tastes exactly like home, but it's kind of an upscale way to do it, which is really nice. My husband ate a chicken sandwich that like changed his life. Oh, the pollo loco. Thank you. And now everyone's (laughs) starving. So for whatever time, time for lunch, everyone, no matter what time you're listening to this. That's right. Um, I always love how chefs describe food, right? I think that's how we get sucked down the food network. (laughs) Like, uh, I don't know, binge watching. You're like, oh my God. Like diners drives in and dives. I'm like, okay, guy, if you're ready, stop putting all this stuff in your mouth. Like I'm so hungry yeah. <laughs> after this. Uh, I love it. You you do a beautiful job describing it. So for someone listening who may be wanting to pivot into the restaurant business or maybe become a chef, what advice would you give somebody for how to start, how to jump in? Where did you get your foot in the door that is a good spot for someone to start as well? I would say if you really want to be in this business and you want to be successful at it, you have to put in the time. Mm -hmm. I started as a dishwasher 
at mm-hmm. a restaurant. And when the dishwashers weren't washing dishes, they were able to prep. And so it was nothing fancy, but it was cutting onions and cutting lettuce. And it was like being in the kitchen. You had a knife and cutting board, so you were kind of there. So I would say start at the bottom if you can, even if you only do it for a couple weeks, because you have to genuinely appreciate every role in this business because they're all very important and they're all very difficult and they're all very different. Be the dishwasher, work on the line. Know what a busy Friday night on the line feels like when the chef is asking you why we're still 25 minutes into a check and you haven't given them the plate of pasta yet, but it's mm-hmm. not as nice as I just said it. Yeah. <laughs> the edited version. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. then see the dishwasher that walks in and the dish pit is absolutely full of dishes. And he or she knows they have to get that done before dinner service starts, before they start just keeping up with plates. But then also one thing I was lucky enough to do at Lulu's was to step into the general manager role Mm. and be the chef and general manager at the same time. Mm. And so that allowed me to learn the front of the house, which serving is tough as hell. How do you have all these tables that want all these things and they're picky? And you remember everything. I'm like, oh, yeah, I tried that. It's tough. So you have to have an appreciation for that. One of the classic issues in a restaurant is front of the house and back of the house never get along because no one understands the other one. The front, the servers don't understand why their food is taking so long. And then on the flip side, cooks get so angry when a server says, I need something on the fly, which means I made a mistake and I need it as fast as possible. And they're like, well, after these 50 tickets in front of it, I will make it as fast as I can. Understanding both sides of that coin and have been the person on both sides of that coin where I've walked up to the window and said to the guys, I am so, so sorry, but I just screwed up. And then on the flip side, then the cook going, all right, well, we have to feed the customers because customers have to come first, not our egos. That's what I would say. Put in the time, understand all the rules, get your hands dirty. You cannot run a restaurant from the 10,000 foot level. You have right. to be able to clear plates and jump in the dish pit and sweep the floor. And if you actually own a restaurant, then you also do stuff like change the light bulbs and unclog toilets and plant plants out front and sweep the patio and mm-hmm. deal with the HVAC guy and the electrician. And all of a sudden you have all these trades that you have to deal with on top of which, because restaurants are never fully running. Yeah. <laughs> all, something always breaks. Yep. So that would be my advice. That's such beautiful advice. And it's so relatable in any industry. A lot of people in my community come from the retail side. I'm sure we all love to go out to eat, everyone. But I think really understanding the nuts and bolts of any business is, like you just said, get your foot in the door. Drop the ego. Know what it looks like 360. And I think it adds a really tremendous level of credibility. When they see someone that's been back of house and then front of house and now running the whole thing, I'm sure that because you have such an incredible team that's inspired by you, because you are so hands-on and you get it. And that's really awesome. So thank you for sharing that. That was a beautiful answer. And I want to dig into Let's Talk Women because I know that that was such a really incredible platform and community that um, you built with some other women restaurateurs. And I'm not even going to go down the rabbit hole of how 2020 ravaged the service industry, (laughs) okay? But I know you did a lot to bring women-led business owners together through Let's Talk Women. Can you tell us a little bit more about that platform and who you're supporting and how listeners can potentially join or support you as well? Sure. I think Let's Talk has been the coolest tribe, as we call ourselves, that I've joined in the last however many months it's been. And Mm -hmm. we literally had a welcome. This is Let's Talk Boston. And then three days later, it's like, hey, let's do an International Women's Day grab bag for 400, 500 people. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, this is awesome. Yeah, It's 
become this community, which is really neat because while I see emails fly all the time through it, it's just so interesting to see that I have the same challenges that other people have. Like, what what are you paying for wages? Does anyone have a good plumber? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Has everyone applied for the Restaurant Revitalization Act? Here's some interesting information that you need to be looking at as far as your books. Here's something you should look at that how the credit card companies are screwing restaurants over. It's been so fun understanding all of the issues that I have that everyone else has. And mm-hmm. so... The other thing that I love about it is that it's a for-profit, which a lot of times restaurants are the first ones to step up and do, let's do dinner to support X, Y, and Z. And we love to do events like that. And we're the first ones to you know, donate our time and our goods. But I love that this one is working hard to support other women. And we're also being able to support our restaurants at the same time. Mm-hmm. And it's just been a really neat tribe to be in. <laughs> Is there any way outside people can come and support you or donations? Do you have any other events coming up that you're advertising or how can anybody else get involved? Yep. You can follow us at Let's Talk Women on Instagram. And there's also a website if you Google Let's Talk Women. I believe that we're working on a picnic basket for Women's Suffrage Day, which is coming up very close to 4th of July, right in that area. And so then the intention will be that you get a picnic basket and you can go and enjoy some great food made by women chefs here in Boston and the beautiful spaces of the city. Take it to the beach, take it to the common, you know. And it's available all across the country, right? That's really cool. Well, I'm looking forward to that. I'll keep my eye out. Um, (laughs) And we'll link everything in the show notes. So I have to ask you before I let you go, as we wrap up here, two hot seat questions. So the first question is two parts. All right, I'm really going to put you on the spot. So tell me, what is your favorite thing to eat? And then what's your favorite meal to cook? I'm so curious. (laughs) I I can imagine as a chef, you're like, please don't ask me to cook as you get home. (laughs) I'm done. But um, I don't know. I think you probably just live it and breathe it. So what's your favorite thing to eat and cook? My favorite thing to eat is I love Indian food. I love it so much. I love it spicy. I love it. Yes. Oh, my gosh. To go into an Indian restaurant and... I feel like it's just one of those cuisines that transports you to another part of the world because yeah. the flavors and the smells are so unique. And, oh, man, it's just, it's warm and it's comfortable and it's spicy. Oh, man, it makes yeah. me really happy. My favorite thing to cook, these days it really depends on what kick I'm on. I know that sounds mm. dumb, but I'll go through a phase where I'm like, oh, man, everything. All I want to use is pork belly. What can we do with the pork belly? And so it's just, you'll see a string of... <laughs> specials from the restaurant right. that all have pork belly in them. I'm like, like Sarah's on our yeah. yeah. But I just go through these moods. Like for some reason, like everybody else in the middle of the pandemic, I was making bread for the restaurant and it was like the most soothing thing on earth to be able to just like, instead of letting it knead in the mixer, which is, is the easy way to do it is I just throw it on the wooden table and just knead it for like five, 10 minutes. And I was like, this is the most wonderful therapeutic thing. And then I get to sell it to customers yeah. and it's fresh bread coming out of a restaurant. It smells so good. Oh, and, wow. oh man. Yeah. So yeah, like the mood changes, but yeah, it's a high one right now on my list. I think yeah. it's so magical and it's so beautiful and yeah. it's so forgiving. <laughs> yeah, it tastes good. You put butter on it. Yes. It's just easy. You can do lots of things. <laughs> yes. Yes. I love that. And then my second question. So if you could cook for anyone in the world, who would it be and why? So oh. you hear this. Yeah. All right. Ready? Mm-hmm. I think it would be, I would like to cook for Bill Belichick, the head coach that. of the Patriots, because I want to talk to him because Mm -hmm. I find, as silly as it sounds, I find so much inspiration from this guy 
who is so cagey and so smart and he runs his team as a business and he's so smart with the guys and he doesn't put up with anybody's crap Mm -hmm. and everyone has to audition for their role just because you're a highly paid player does not mean that you automatically get to walk on the field and be the starter I don't even know if he would be very conversational at dinner, but that's who I would want to talk to. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I feel like it because you, you see him crack smiles yeah. behind the scenes. You put your game face on, you're in work and a business that's different, but outside we can all embrace our quirks and personality. So I don't know. Maybe we'll try to make that happen. We'll get <laughs> so you to cool. Gillette somehow. Anyone listen out there? Any Bill Belichick connection? Yeah, or the house in Nantucket. I'd be happy oh, to we'll travel. Oh, we'll go to Nantucket. <laughs> we'll take you to the food and wine festival. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> We'll get you hooked up there. Side questions. Are you for hire to come and train a terrible cook like me? Or do I have a better shot joining that other show? What is that? America's Worst Chef. <laughs> You're like, yes. no, Megan. I hustle the great hustle. <laughs> so yeah, I'm always around, always happy to cook for somebody. I've got like mitzvahs and graduations lined up already for wow. the spring. So. Oh, that's good to know. Yeah, okay. man. Do what makes yeah. you happy. I just love yeah. that I get paid to do it. Yeah. <laughs> What other ways can our listeners find you and engage with you via maybe your channels and Stillwater? What's the best way to find you? You can find me directly on Instagram at Chef Sarah Wade. And then also if you want to check out Stillwater, it's at Stillwater Boston. Also on Instagram, we post specials weekly. We do a Mac Bar Monday. I have uh, a ghost kitchen called Mac Bar, which is a total separate restaurant of nothing but mac and cheese that's only available for takeout. So it's perfect for those nights when you don't want to cook and you just need mac and cheese in your life. Mm-hmm. So you've got Mac Bar, you've got Stillwater with all of our lovely stuff there. Uh, and then you've got me. I post really funny, random New Yorker cartoons and food pictures. <laughs> <I love it. laughs> yes, I love it. your Instagram. That's great. It all blends so beautifully. And yes, check out Stillwater. You see all the beautiful food and the menu and Like I said, if you're not local and you're here in Boston, definitely give it a visit and we'll link everything in our notes and summaries. So I want to thank you, Sarah, for being on the podcast from the worst cook in America, me, Megan Hull, to award-winning chef, Sarah Wayne. (laughs) I appreciate you sharing your story with us. And as I said, anyone listening, greater Boston, New England area, planning a trip to Boston summer, you must visit Stillwater. You will leave very full and very happy. So good luck with everything you are building, Sarah. And I wish you and your teams the best summer to come and the rest of 2021 ahead. Oh, thank you so much. This was so much fun. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Yay. Hi, everybody. It's time for another Megan Hool Method takeaway of the week. This week, I want to talk about the lies we tell ourselves. Many of these lies usually matriculate from three parts of our network that can stick with us like gum on a shoe. The first, the lies we say to ourselves. The second, lies family and friends tell us. And the third, lies we hear from complete strangers. These lies can tend to hold us back from many major life goals we are looking to achieve. And as it pertains to following our career dreams, We can lie to ourselves that we're not good enough, not smart enough, or talented enough to go after a dream job, which knocks our confidence in the interview process or when starting to build an empire. We can listen to family and friends tell us lies around what we should be doing because it's what they think are best, or that you should use your education to follow the path you decided at 18. Quite frankly, who even knows what they wanna do at 18 anyway? And then there's the lies that we believe from strangers. Complete strangers 
that we meet through various online platforms that will say anything mean and that comment then lives rent-free in your head for the rest of your life, holding you back from never being vulnerable or putting yourself out there because you'd rather stay silent than get your feelings hurt. Well, my friends, guess what? The only opinion and truth that matter in this world are yours and yours alone. Words are powerful, but so are you. So I want you to try something for me this week. If you're thinking a negative thought, if a family member puts you down, if a troll online throws out some unkind statement, take a breath, pause, ask yourself, is this really true about me? And usually the answer is no. And then repeat after me. My place in this world is not to please everyone. And if I live my life trying to follow what others think I should be doing, I will only hurt myself in the end. I want you to follow your dreams, do what you wanna do, and please, Say nice things to yourself. You are amazing and I believe in you. I hope you found this tip helpful and stay tuned for more Megan Hole Method tips this season on Pivot with Purpose. Pivot with Purpose with host Megan Hole is a fashion consort production and part of the FC Podcast Network. It is produced and directed by Phil aka Corinne. And a special thank you to Spencer Powell for our theme music. Learn more at pivotwithpurposepodcast.com and be sure to follow us on Instagram at pivotwithpurpose underscore podcast.